are about to listen to Where Your Treasure Is, the podcast where faith and finance meet. Please note that the views expressed are our own and in no way represent any form of financial advice. And remember, investments can go down as well as up. Happy listening. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Where Your Treasure Is. We are so excited that we have our second ever guest with us. Simon, why did you want to invite this guest to come and chat to us today? Well, you are about to be introduced to a a good friend of mine who I think has made a very bold journey out of the last couple of years of his life. We're about to hear what he does and maybe why he does it, but also to get a very different perspective on the Where Your Treasure Is podcast, not from you and I, Bex, but from somebody whose relationship with faith and with finance is very different than ours. So, Bex, I'll let you start off and uh, find out who our guest is for this episode. So, rather than try and play a really elaborate game of guess who, although that is pretty tempting, I am going to ask our wonderful guest, Don, to introduce himself. So, Don, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Don Thomas. I am 33 years old. I'm coming up to 10 years married to my lovely wife, Abby, which is crazy. I can't believe how the time has flown. And uh, we are living on the gorgeous west coast of Scotland with two lovely children. So a six-year-old and two-year-old. And we're church planters uh, in an area called Inverclyde, which is about 30 miles west of Glasgow. And yeah, we've been here for coming up to four years. Four years. That's a good amount of time. Before you went to Inverclyde and before you planted your church, you were part of our church up here in the east coast of Scotland, Aberdeenshire. And before we get to how did you end up planting a church on the other side of the country, Don, would you tell us a, a little bit about your own journey of faith, how how you became a Christian? Sure, yeah. So I, I grew up in a very charismatic Anglican church in South London. So I'm originally from Croydon. And that's really where my faith came alive. So it was in my younger years through the kids work that I gave my life to Jesus and grew in that time. As I got older through the church, there's lots of opportunities to grow in faith through being part of the youth group, which was really central to my faith. My dad was part of what we called the Global Missions Committee. It sounds very official, but it's just a group of people praying about how we can be more intentional in mission, both locally and globally. So really through my younger years, I had this passion and this kind of infeed of mission and outward focus, being outward focused as a church. We were quite a large Anglican church at that point anyway, maybe four or five hundred people thriving in lots of different areas. And one thing we did, I remember we did our kind of own version of church planting back then. Uh, So it was called a church graft. And there was another local Anglican church that was much smaller and really struggling. And so we sent a team of around 30 or 40 people to join that church to just refresh it, to bring some energy, to bring some passion, some key leaders. And so again, through my childhood, I saw what it looked like for church to be more than just a Sunday thing but for your faith to come alive in church and then you have a part to play in that as well. So that was really kind of in my DNA growing up and it's part of me through and through. So we're still in touch with lots of people from down that neck of the woods. My family is still down there. And those were really formative years in my life. 
I love the way that what you've learned in your childhood has gone on to shape your life. And actually just the way that sense of community and working together has woven its way throughout your whole life because we can definitely see the outworking of that now. And so how did you go from being in this Anglican church to ending up in Aberdeenshire? What did that look like? Yeah, so I originally moved to Scotland in September 2009 to study at the beautiful University of Aberdeen. So I'd moved up to study theology. So I I had this sense of calling to ministry, whether it be missions work, church planting, church leadership. I, I knew I was being called to that kind of ministry and I wanted to equip myself for that. At that point, I was 18, kind of turning 19. I didn't fancy going to Bible college. I thought maybe that could be for later on in life. But being a young lad, I thought I want to experience university. I want to meet new people. I want to be out there. But also I want to study theology. And whenever I went to a conference or spoke to different church leaders, Aberdeen kept on cropping up as an excellent university for divinity. So I ended up applying and coming up to to Aberdeen 2009. Abby was also on my degree. I'd describe her as like the straight A student. She was top of the class. I was kind of mid-range. And when we started dating, I remember one of the lecturers pulling us aside and saying, "Um, Abby, I've noticed your grades uh, have started slipping a bit. And I've noticed you're spending more time with Don. (laughs) Are the two related? But again, we just see the hand of God at work in that because through those four years, we had a lot of time together in and out of the classroom, getting to know each other. I eventually plucked up the courage to ask her out. And a few months after we graduated, we got married. And so in those formative years, the DNA that I was getting and my heart for mission and, and church planting and things that started off fuzzy was becoming clearer and clearer was also happening with Abby. So that was really, really formative. Uh, in the mix of that, The church that we're part of, Catalyst Vineyard Church, just had such a heart for mission, church planting, multiplication. We joined the vineyard movement in that time as well. And that brought real structure and resourcing into how that might look. And so over the course of, I'd say it was the first five years of our marriage, we were exploring church planting, specifically with the vineyard as well. So there's key characteristics of a vineyard church planter. So we were journeying through that. We also, a year into marriage, it was we moved out to Inverurie to help start up the Catalyst Inverurie site. And so that was a real key part of us kind of cutting our teeth in ministry. We did lots of different things there from youth work, kids work. I was leading worship, preaching, leading, and just seeing what it was like for a new community to be formed, working with our site pastors, supporting them, trying to be an encouragement to them. Whilst also keeping our eyes on what was ahead and that we knew it was going to be for a season, but God was also going to be calling us elsewhere. But at that point, we we didn't know what that was going to look like. So that that's some of our story of how we ended up planting. So we've got this great picture of a young couple who seemed to both have a very clear direction of what God wanted you guys to do in your lives. You came to Aberdeen to study divinity because you felt called into Christian leadership. You joined a local church, you supported leadership there, you got a breadth of places to serve and develop your skills. But at some point, Don, there must have been a transition from here we are in a church which has been planted to actually we're leaving this church we're going to go from this to well to what 
What did you go to? Did you take a team of 30 or 40 people? Did you join an established church? Is, is that the next part of your story? <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's, uh, it's the opposite. We were pioneers. We went ourselves. <laughs> to summarise, over those first five years of marriage, we were part of a growing site for Catalyst. Loved being there whilst exploring a call to somewhere else. Um, to narrow it down, we knew God was calling us to Scotland. We didn't feel like he was calling us to England or, or another country. We knew our heart was for Scotland, but we didn't know where. So in that time, we started exploring different parts of Scotland. And it was a painful process, actually, because we went to a lot of different places. We went to Elgin. We went to Fort William. We went to Inverness. We travelled all over, often just on holiday, but also with that idea of, ah, could God be calling us to move here? And it just wasn't clear. We'd come away from somewhere thinking... No, we can't picture ourselves moving here. This isn't where it is. To cut a long story short, I was general manager for a local third sector social enterprise. It's a Christian based ministry where we would pray with the guys and also take them out and do landscaping and gardening and equip them in that way. In the midst of that, our church was starting up something which is now called the Vineyard Leadership College. And I knew in my heart that I needed to do this Vineyard Leadership College. It was a day a week of my time. At that point, I was a general manager and I wasn't that long into the role, a couple of years into the role. And I thought, I'm not sure how this could be possible. But I really sense that God is saying this is the next step in our journey in clarifying those details. As you said, Simon, what is it actually going to look like for this next step to become a reality? And in the course of that year, it was like God really turned up the heat on our calling and when it was going to be. We kind of thought it would be years down the line, being honest. Uh, myself and Abby had spoken about having more kids, you know, then maybe being a bit more grown up, maybe left home, and then we'd go and do something. But God was just making it clearer and clearer that it was going to be pretty soon. And to cut a long story short, we eventually ended up visiting Inverclyde. So that's the area and particularly the main town, Greenock, and the surrounding towns is Port Glasgow and, and Gurick. And when we came down, it was just totally different from anywhere else we'd visited. It was just like God put something on our heart where we just knew from our first time being there, this is where he was calling us to go to. So we came back up the road essentially with a sense of responsibility that this is where we're going to be coming. Um, whether it's with a team from our church or just us as a family, we just knew this is where he was calling us to move to plant a church. And then the next, what would it have been, six months to a year was just figuring out the practical details of that, resigning from our roles, praying about the practicalities of moving, uh, looking at our finances, where we were going to live, how we'd be supported, what would our church look like, all of those kind of real key formative things before we moved in February 2019. It was February 2019, yeah. And so you've been journeying with this sense of call for a while. You've been taking intentional steps towards it. And you get to this point where you feel like God has spoken really clearly. You know where and you start to move there. But to bring the finance perspective into this, what did that feel like? What did that look like to make that decision of faith when maybe on the surface it seemed like a wild decision to make? Oh, it's huge. It's huge just thinking back about it now. It's always in hindsight, it seems like an easy thing. It's like, oh, it was nothing. But at the time, it was massive. Our son was only two years old at the time. So a young family. We had a property that we owned. So it looked like putting our property on the market. The timings just looked ridiculous in terms of resigning from our jobs 
finding jobs, the actual process of moving itself, but really all the financial side came together in an amazing way. I remember one of the trustees of the charity I was working for, I'd been journeying with them about God calling us to move. And they were very, very gracious. And they'd say, we don't need to know a date, Don. We're going to start recruiting for your role, but we don't need an exact date. We'll maybe have an overlap between you training up the new general manager and you can figure out the timings yourself. It was a real crunch point. I remember getting a phone call from from this trustee who was incredibly supportive and had said in this phone call, listen, Don, it's time for you to give a date. We found the new guy. I'd actually helped recruit him. He was moving up. I think at that point, we'd been working together for a few weeks and they were like, listen, we can't sustain both salaries for ages and ages. And also, he said, if you really do believe God has called you guys to move, you need to just give us a date. And so I remember putting down the phone and going back to Abby saying, like, the moment has come. They've asked for an actual date. Like, we can't put this off and put this off. And so we picked a date and, and I resigned. I officially resigned and I said, I'll be out of the role by this date. And that weekend we were coming down to Inverclyde. And it was that weekend that I actually got offered a job. I hadn't applied for it. I hadn't interviewed. It was a total blindside to both of us. But I got offered this role four days a week so that I could do one day a week for our church, which was part of a gift that had come from our sending church catalyst. So that covered that one day a week. One of the things we did in our move was we set thresholds for God. It might sound controversial. It might sound like a lack of faith, but we set healthy thresholds. And one of the thresholds was, God, we need to have one full time job for us to move. Our flat doesn't have to have sold. We don't both need full time roles. We don't need a team. But what we do need is we just need one full time job. We feel that that's a reasonable thing to ask of you, God, as a kind of trigger point for us to go tick. Right. Let's get down the road. And so once we had that, we thought, that's it. I've got the full time role. We can financially be self-sufficient in that way. So our flat still hadn't sold. There's other things going on in the background. But at that point, we were able to pick a move date and come down. And yeah, so here we are. So we have this story so far of Don and Abby Thomas, two-year-old son, journeying with God, having set a threshold, having really had some miraculous provision in terms of old employment and new employment, and you're going, you're going to plant a brand new church. Now, clearly in your role, you're going to be a church pastor, a church planter, reaching out into the community. So faith is a massive part of what you do. But then finance is a part of what everybody does. What role do you find day by day, week by week, does faith have that your personal faith and your interactions with other people in terms of faith? What role does it have in your life? Oh, it's absolutely central. I think faith is possibly the most defining characteristic, I'd say, of a church planter, especially in the early days. And of course, going on as the church is bigger, because what you have a vision for isn't a reality yet. So you're essentially imagining something. You're imagining a church. You're imagining God at work. You're imagining lives transformed, but it's not in reality. You can't touch it. You can't feel it. You can't physically see it. So take out the faith piece and it all falls apart because you'd be discouraged. Oh, we don't have a 40 strong team and a multi-million pound budget and 100 people being baptised every year. It's a dream in your heart that you've heard God whisper to you. And it really is a faith adventure. It doesn't mean that there's not more solid things to base this on. The vineyard are fantastic in that they don't just send people out to plant a church. It's a thorough, thorough process. It's a discernment process. 
And so you go into it ready for it. But the faith element is, for our story anyway, the biggest element and also the biggest encouragement because you look back and you see, hey, God has provided for us financially in terms of work. He has provided for us team. We came here without a team, yet our team was ready waiting for us over the years we've got to know some precious people who are still with us and as we grow there's going to be more as well and so that faith element is absolutely central and then taking other people on that journey as well we just recently had vision sunday and that faith element is huge looking back over 2022 and how god has provided and looking ahead with faith i can say to our we church you know look at what we did in faith this last year and how god has provided Look at the finances that did come in. Look at what we were able to do with it. And now let's look ahead with even more faith to the year ahead. So Don, you mentioned there that you've got a a wee church. So you're clearly a Scotsman now. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Has your wee church grown beyond the three of you? It has. It has indeed. It's grown. We've got a good core group of leaders. We've got around 30 people in and around our church community. We've seen people over the years give their life to Jesus for the first time. We've seen people come back to church. We are still small, but we're growing and God has been faithful. So good. So good. I love that. I love the glimpses of that vision that you have in your heart that God whispered to you starting to come to fruition. And yet, at the same time, you're living in the constraints of reality. And a part of that is financial resources. So where does money fit in your kind of workplace and in your job description? I guess I've got three hats on in some ways, because I also am part-time an environmental officer for a local charity, which is a fantastic community-based role. And in the three camps as such, in that role, in my role as a church leader and also personally as a family, finance is absolutely central in terms of what we can do, what we can't do, what we plan for. For church, we're at an exciting stage where every shift in finances makes a big difference. So because we're not on a multi-million pound budget, a gift of a thousand pounds makes a huge difference in the life of our church because it means, wow, let's do something with that. This can be in changes on a Sunday or an extra ministry or, or whatever that looks like. In my other role as well, as part of a really exciting growing charity, I see the way that finances releases life. And finances managed well releases life and often leads to more finances. So we know it's a biblical principle, that whole idea of, you know, if you're trusted with a little, God will give you more. And I also see that in the charity sector, the third sector, that those charities that manage their finances well and with care and with that element of being willing to step out and take risks are growing. So that's my experience from the charitable perspective as well. Do you think then, Don, as somebody who was called to plant a church, who went with Abby and you you did that, did you have the financial skills in place already to run a church, to, to manage the budget, to talk to people coming along and exploring this new Inverclyde Vineyard Church about their own financial situation and giving? Were you equipped to do that or did you learn as you went along? I think there's two parts of that question. In terms of my own ability, in terms of financial management of a group, of a charity, of a church, I felt that was something I needed to grow in and I had limited experience beforehand. 
And it's really interesting because at one point when we were looking through the characteristics of a vineyard church planter, it said about strategic leadership and financial management. Are you able to put together a budget? And do you have financial experience? And I felt that was one area I was lacking in. And soon after that, I had the opportunity to become general manager for this Christian social enterprise and learn complete financial oversight in terms of employment, PAYE, HMRC, insurances, budget management, working with board of directors, providing financial reports. I didn't have any experience of that before. So those few years doing that definitely prepared me and helped me for the financial management and leadership and trustee side of being a church planter. So that's helped me from that side. In terms of speaking about finances with the church and personal giving, it's helped that me and Abby have journeyed as part of a very visionary church. So we've been on the other side of it in terms of the bombs on the seats with our lead pastors, Chuck and Taryn, being incredibly visionary and thorough in terms of their finances and their vision. Every single year for their Vision Sunday, they'd produce the financial slides of this is how much money we received, this is where it came from, and this is where it went to. And then this is what we need to do what God's asking us to do. And so seeing them do that and how it left me feeling as a congregation member, or feeling empowered or feeling ready to give even more finances, because I thought this is going somewhere. There's transparency, there's vision here. And also seeing how they dealt with bigger vision days, like at one point we had the spreading life together, giving in terms of multiplying out and doing multiple sites and the thoroughness of this is what it'll cost to do that. This is what this money will go towards. And it being that amazing combination of both. This is what God's asked us to do. Let's go on and do it. But also these are the nuts and bolts. This is how you can play your part. This is what the finances look like to enable this vision to happen. So being part of Catalyst first and coming into that, I feel has helped both Abby and I to learn how to do that coming into church planting. And it's just so striking that God not only gave you the vision, but that he practically prepared each step for you along the way. And just as you identified an area of maybe weakness or that could do with a little bit more knowledge, there were a number of situations around you that equipped you and gave you an opportunity to learn and to grow in that area. And I have no doubt that along the church planting and pastoring journey, there have been lots of different times where you have grown in various areas. But I was wondering if you could give us some top tips or key planning points or things you think we absolutely must know about faith and finance that you've learned on this journey. I think two really key questions come to mind that we must ask ourselves in terms of family, faith and finance, and also church, faith and finance. And the first question is, what would you do if you have nothing? So what would you do if you have very, very minimal financial resources available? Because what that question does is it clarifies what's important. So if we had £10 in the bank, how would we spend that £10? I think that is a really, really vital question for us to ask. But then in tandem with that or alongside that, the second question to ask is, what would I do if I have everything? What would I do if money was no issue? And as a church, we had that million pound budget. What would we do? Because that's a dreaming. That's a vision question. Oh, we'd buy our own building and we'd start up a compassion center and we'd open up accommodation and welcome in the homeless. And asking those two questions hand in hand, I think are incredibly powerful. So what would I do if I had nothing? Because that focuses on really what would we do as a church if there was nothing in the bank? 
what is absolute we would never ever give up on those things regardless of the finances and also as a family what would we do if we really were really really stretched to our last penny what are the key important things but also not getting stuck in that narrow mindset but also the vast wide question of what would we do if we had everything? What would we do if God literally dropped this amount into our bank as a family? Who would we give it to? What would we do? And as a church, what would we do if there was literally no limits on what God could provide for us? And I'd encourage listeners to ask those two questions, look at their own life and say, if I had nothing in the bank, or if I only had six months left to live, those kind of really point blank questions, what would I do? Because that brings about a sense of urgency. And then the other question, what would I do if there was no limits to my time and, you know, no limits to my resources and God could give me everything that I wanted? Those two questions together, I think, have been a real growth point for me to have both of those mindsets. You've raised the question there, Don. So let me challenge you from a personal family financial point of view what is the thing that the thomas family would never give up doing would never not do and what is the thing that inverclyde vineyard church would never stop doing even if money was running all the way out as a family i'd say the things that we'd never stop doing would be our home life making sure that our kids have food on the table uh, healthy and happy and have the resources they need to live a happy life and giving as well even if we had nothing i'd like to think we'd still find ways of giving whether it be to church to others to those around us i'd say those are the core things for church i'd say two things probably actually in a similar vein one would be being able to gather together as a church family. So if we had no money for a building, for rent, for teas, coffees, it's like we'd be piling into someone's front room because the church is the church together and being able to worship and pray, hospitality, doing life together. Not having a building or a lack of resources wouldn't stop us doing that. And also that sense of we're here for others. We're not just an insular community, but even with no financial resources, how can we bless Inverclyde? How can we bless those around us and be missional and generous with what we do have? I just love hearing you speak, John, because you ooze this passion for Jesus. And it's so clear that it shapes every single part of your life, whether that's finances, whether that's how you spend your time or your priorities. And so it kind of leads into the question of, what is it that you've learned from the Bible that you apply in your personal life and as a pastor? What are the key biblical principles that really guide you? One of the key things would be the importance of our heart. Jesus talks about loving the Lord your God with all your heart. I think that really is a defining aspect of how we relate to God and how we relate to each other so to put it into context so I spoke about when me and Abby moved here we had that threshold of we just need one full-time role to be able to move that's a trigger and, and we'll go often those triggers we set if our heart isn't in the right place it, it's just not the right thing so if really I just knew that I wasn't really going to move. I wasn't really going to plant a church. I wasn't going to follow God's call. The threshold, the trigger I set could be, well, we need to sell our house. We need to have two full-time jobs. We need to have money in the bank. It becomes ridiculous. And it's like, actually, no, you just need to surrender and lay it all down. And bring it back to Jesus as a matter of the heart. As when our heart's in the right place, I think God responds to that. 
And he responded to us saying, God, look, we'll do anything you want us to do. We'll go wherever you want to go. But we're just asking. We need one full time job as that element of confirmation. And so the heart really does matter. I think it's in Jeremiah that it says the heart is more deceitful than anything else. And so we can trick ourselves with the heart and set thresholds for God and limit our finances or say, oh, you know, God, I'll give away more money when I have more money or I'll follow you when I feel more confident or when this happens. But actually, when God has charge of our hearts, when his throne is in our hearts, the rest flows from there. So we're willing to go and plant a church. We're willing to set up a business. We're willing to say yes to this or no to that. We're willing to be sacrificial with our finances. So I'd say really bring your heart before God. Allow it to be shaped by the Holy Spirit in church community, by the word, because that will really be where the rest of of our decisions flow out of. Brilliant. Such a a good foundational lesson that flows into really every aspect of life. And certainly it applies to the financial aspect of life. It's our heart that matters, our attitude, not just our bank balance. I've spoken with pastors in the past, and one of the challenges I think they all face is how do we communicate God's heart when it comes to money, to finance, to giving, to generosity from the pulpit? And I think often the message gets toned down, it is is given gently. What do you think God wants to say to us about our relationship with money when it comes to faith, supporting the church, living life generously, as you put it? What I'd say is that if you are obedient to God with your finances, he sees that sacrifice and he'll meet it with what you need. I've never met anyone who feels they've outgiven God, who feels like they in some way have given too much financially and God owes them something. But quite often it can be the other way, can't it? Where you're left with a sense of, did I really do enough? Could I have given more? So I'd be saying to people that if you look at the Bible throughout scripture, there's people who chose to take that step of faith and give it all up for God, move their family Look at the Old Testament with Abraham, Isaac. They financially sacrificed. They honoured God in the small things and the big things, and he always provided for them. So why hold back? So why would it be any different with the money in your bank account? And what a difference that could make. And I'd also make that challenge of what out of your resources could be put to better use now by giving it to someone else rather than holding on to it. I wouldn't stand up in the pulpit and say you have to give away everything, but I'd be saying what in your resources can you give that would make a bigger difference now to someone else compared to it sitting in your own bank account? And I'd be putting that challenge out there. I think it must be incredibly difficult as a pastor to stand in front of a congregation and communicate a message that sounds like the church needs your money to pay my salary instead of God wants you to join in this wonderful grace of giving and I'm just the conduit by which the message is being sent. So I'm going to extend a a challenge to our listeners, wherever they are, whoever they are, whenever they're listening. If you take Don's words, are you being deliberate and honouring God with your finances? Have you got resources that could be put to better use? Are you prepared to put God to the test can you try and outgive him when all the evidence seems to suggest that he will give you what you need and often abundantly more than we actually need? And if you are struggling to think to yourself, well, yes, I have got resources, 
but I've got no idea where to send it. Well, Don, he's at Inverclyde Vineyard Church. I'm sure he'll happily take that thousand pounds. <laughs> he's got a ministry up his sleeve just waiting to go. Yes, we would. We would. <laughs> wow, this has been such a wonderfully encouraging, challenging conversation. Don, I just wondered if you would pray for us as we bring our conversation to a close. Sure, I'd love to. Jesus, thank you so much that you are king and we are part of your kingdom. Thank you for inviting us into being part of your family. And as part of your family, as sons and daughters, we have a part to play. Lord, I thank you for every single person listening to this podcast. And I pray that through what has been shared and ongoing, you would be showing them their part to play. You'd be showing them what they are to do to play their part in your kingdom, whether it be in business, whether it be in education, whether it be in home life, whether it be in pastoring, church leadership, church planting, whatever that part looks like, would you be showing the way for each of these listeners? And would they be bold enough not to look to the left and the right and compare they're part of your kingdom to someone else's and say, oh, well, maybe if, I, if I'm more like that person or had that calling, it would be better. But Lord, would they look at you square in the eyes and would they say, yes, I will play my part in your kingdom, Lord. I will take up a seat at your table. I will serve others. I will put my money to work. I will step out in faith. So thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would be glorified through all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, I'm going to wrap up with a couple of comments. So number one, if you happen to be listening and you're in the Inverclyde area on a Sunday morning, at what time, Don? 10.30. Go and find Inverclyde Vineyard Church. They'd be happy to have you. You can go and shake Don by the hand and say, I recognize your voice. (laughs) I'd love that. And the second thing is it's a bit wider. If you're listening today and you've been inspired by Don's heart, that message that even as a young man, he really felt called into church leadership. And then through a journey, along with his wife, Abby, into planting a new church and pastoring a growing church. And if you've got no one to talk to, I'm going to offer you right now, Don will talk to you. He will tell you his story. He will offer you some guidance and support. We would love to see more churches planted and more churches grown. Don, is that an acceptable offer to put out there? Definitely. Fantastic. Well, Don, thank you so much for your time. Our blessings on you and Abby and the kids and the church. And maybe we'll get you back in the future and hear of amazing things that have been happening in and through the ministry of Don and Abby Thomas in Verclyde Vineyard Church. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. And if you can't find Don online, although I'm pretty sure you will manage to. You can send us an email at the usual email address where your treasure is at freerangepodcasting.co.uk or drop us a DM on Instagram at where your treasure is podcast and we would love to pass them on to Don. And we will see you next time. Well, we won't see you, but you'll hear us next time on Where Your Treasure Is. This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you where you and your podcast want to go. 